Hello, this is Dr. Jeffrey Lieberman of Columbia University, Department of Psychiatry, and this is Shrink Speak. Today, we're going to be speaking about the COVID-19 crisis and the pandemic that is roiling uh, lives of everyone in the world just about. To do so, we're going to be talking with uh, three experts in the area, Dr. Brian Fallon, who's a professor of psychiatry at Columbia, Dr. Ian Lipkin, who is a professor of molecular virology and epidemiology at Columbia, and also Dr. Siddhartha Mukherjee, who is a professor of clinical medicine and oncology at Columbia. And each of them will be able to provide perspectives from their points of expertise that people need to know or will benefit from understanding in terms of how to cope with the current COVID-19 pandemic. Now, Dr. Fallon is really uniquely qualified to speak to this situation because he has a foot both in the clinical psychiatry camp, but he also has a a foot in the infectious disease camp uh, because his specialty has been examining the CNS, central nervous system, brain behavioral consequences of infectious pathogens and the immune system's response to those. This occurs in a variety of different conditions, uh, and particularly Lyme disease. So, Brian, first, you know, the COVID-19 virus is a new virus. It produces symptoms that are similar to what uh, the flu virus produces, but it's obviously having a much bigger impact. What is going on? It is obviously a frightening time for many people, the coronavirus epidemic. Basically, what's happened is that we have this new virus that started in China and has actually spread around the world at this point. So it's being described by the World Health Organization as a pandemic. So what's... Do you want to define pandemic? Well, it's an epidemic that has affected a certain number of countries around the world to a greater extent, and, and it becomes a worldwide concern. So... You know, I always like to think of uh, what's bad news and what's good news. So the bad news is that we have a pandemic. In some senses, the good news is that we have researchers from all around the world, every country focused on trying to understand this illness, trying to develop new treatments, new vaccines, and new approaches to control it. So it's everybody's problem. Exactly. We're in it it together. Exactly. So that is good news that, that they're doing that. You know, I think one thing that's really terrifying to people in the community, of course, is their concern that they might get this infection and also to see what the public health authorities are telling them, that they need to be very careful, contain themselves. If you've been infected, you need to quarantine yourself. And so that is all quite frightening. Some people are told to stay home from work. Children sometimes are being told that they can't go to school. So it creates creates tremendous stress for the families and for everybody. It also creates financial stress for people if they have to stay home and take care of their children and they can't go to work. So so it's a very problematic time in our country at this point and around the world. One thing I do want to emphasize is that the primary goal of all of these containment measures is really to slow down the rate of acquiring infection so that the healthcare system itself is not over burdened by too many critically ill patients in a short period of time. You know, even apart from how an individual determines what their individual risk is and what they need to do, this overall is a huge stressor to people and is really causing a tremendous amount of uh, anxiety and worry. What is your understanding of that and what should people be thinking of doing? Well, there's lots of things they can do and and I I really do want to give some tips to people out there to help reduce their coronavirus anxiety. Number one, 
avoid checking and rechecking the media for the latest updates. <laughs> we all do that, but you have to stop doing that. And you have to you have to really be careful about that because if you check every hour, you're going to get increasingly anxious. We actually did a study because I work on illness anxiety with my other hats. And we found that people who check the internet more often uh, are more likely to get anxious. So checking the internet is not necessarily helpful, although it is important to be informed. So maybe doing something very uh, methodically, like checking once in the morning and once in the late afternoon, but not before sleep, is a good idea. Avoid focusing too much on your bodily symptoms. Obviously, you need to pay attention if you have a fever and a dry cough or trouble breathing, and you should definitely call your health care provider in that circumstance. But remember that unexplained bodily symptoms are very, very common. We all have them every week. So if you have general fatigue or muscle pains, the most likely cause is not coronavirus. The most likely cause is that you didn't sleep well the night before or that you're worrying too much. There are distraction techniques that people can use so they're not hyper-focused on COVID-19. Turn off your phone. Turn off the TV. Engage in good distraction, pleasurable activities. Watch a movie, listen to music, dance. Call a friend, do video chats. You could cognitively reframe your current situation instead of saying, isn't it terrible that I'm spending so much time at home and I can't do things that I want to do? You could say, hey, this is an opportunity for me to clean the house or to spend time with my children or to watch a movie or to, or to write the great American novel. So it's important to really check to see how you're thinking about this because the risk actually is low. And so why not cognitively reframe it if you can in a positive way for yourself so that you're not living with this intense, overwhelming anxiety. And it's so important, of course, to avoid catastrophizing and to, as we discussed earlier, to assess the risk realistically and also to take comfort, as I said earlier on, that this is a global problem and that top medical scientists internationally are focused on developing new treatments. And there are new treatments already being given to patients who have been affected. So you mean have faith in the system? I do, actually. I, I heard recently from an international group of scientists that there are like 200 clinical trials already underway. That's, that's, that's quite impressive. And there's a lot of work right now being done to fast-track the development of vaccines as well. So there's a lot going on that I think really is going to help. And even if we look at the SARS epidemic, that was a self-limiting epidemic. So we expect the same thing to be true for the coronavirus. So the uh, techniques that you mentioned are things that everybody can apply, but we know that vulnerability to stress and to the uh, symptoms it can cause is variable uh, depending on individuals' temperament and personalities and if, whether they're pre-existing conditions. That's so, right. That's so right. what about if you have a pre-existing anxiety yeah, disorder, mood so disorder? Yeah, that's so important. Absolutely. So if you have a pre-existing anxiety disorder, if you have obsess obsessive-compulsive disorder or panic disorder or generalized anxiety disorder, you should absolutely not check the Internet frequently. Because once you start doing that, you're going to recheck and recheck and recheck, and you'll go into a rabbit hole of anxiety that you won't be able to come out of. If you have a pre-existing mood or anxiety disorder that's not being addressed by a mental health professional, take advantage of this as a great time to actually reach out to the mental health community and check in and see what can be done to help reduce your anxiety or depression. Do personal self-care things that are so important, such as exercise, meditate, controlled breathing, yoga, ensure that you get a good night's sleep and that your nutrition is good and that you're not abusing substances. All those are good for general health and critical for us at this difficult time because really what we want everybody to do is to use their best abilities to help themselves and to help others as well, especially the elderly and the infirm.
How about if you have a pre-existing condition, you have psychotropic medications, you're being treated with extra doses of that, or even if you don't, but you know you feel that you want to take a minor tranquilizer, you want to have a, a cocktail to help your anxiety, how would you advise people? I think minor use of substances to help reduce your anxiety probably is not a bad thing to do uh, if that has helped you in the past, but you certainly have to be careful not to engage in daily, regular use that, that's going to impede your ability to function or perform or to think clearly or to, or to have good judgments. And obviously, if you have a pre-existing substance abuse problem, you need to continue to not use substances. You should also check in with your, your health care provider because health care providers throughout the country are using telemedicine and telepsychiatry to provide care over the phone so you don't have to go to the doctor's office. You can get help just by calling up and the doctor who knows you will say, look, why don't you increase this medicine or by just talking to you and psychotherapy over the phone can help, help you reduce your anxiety. So there's so many things that mental health care providers can offer at this point to reduce people's stress. So if you have a pre-existing psychiatric condition and you have psychotropic meds that you might want to take on a PRN as needed basis or increase the dose, you can call your your psychiatrist or if you don't, you can call your primary care doctor. Yes, that's an excellent idea and that's very helpful. So God forbid we have another one of these once we get past it, but it sounds like there's also things that could be done before pandemic strike that can enable uh, societies, countries, people to prepare for it. Efforts to try and enhance individual resistance or organizational or institutional resilience are common principles that are advocated, which obviously we haven't uh, been too good at uh, adopting, you know, indicated by you know the response of the country to the, um, the pandemic now. But uh, what is your thought about what we can do afterwards to be ready for the next one in terms of individual resilience development techniques. Yeah, well, I'm a a 100% confidence that as a result of this pandemic, our nation as a whole is going to put into practice a whole bunch of new guidelines as to what to do in in the case of a future epidemic. I mean, one of the sad things about this current situation is that diagnostic testing is still not readily available for people, even though it's being fast-tracked and it should be coming out increasingly over the next week or two. But still, that's that's slow compared to other countries. Uh, So that's been a problem. Everybody now has learned a lot about the tremendous benefits of rapid containment if there is another virus epidemic such as the present one. We now know about social distancing and we know about um, hand washing. Even though we knew about it before, we know about it even more strongly at this point. So all those are good things. So resilience basically indicates the ability to withstand uh, some adversity, in this case a pandemic, but to be able to cope with it and to bounce back. And those are things that both individual people as well as institutions and, and, and governments should be taking guidance or steps to try and develop in anticipation of future disasters. And if they never come, well, so much the better. Exactly. It's very important that we be prepared. Thank you very much, Dr. Fallon. It's a pleasure talking to you for this useful information for everybody. Thank you for listening. This is Dr. Jeffrey Lieberman, Department of Psychiatry, Columbia University, and this is Shrink Speak.